Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Welcome to the very first episode, the pilot, if you will, of Detours, the podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Mike. And I'm Deb. And we would love to welcome you. We have a grand total audience of four people right now, consisting of my mom and dad and Deb's (laughs) mom and dad, but we're hoping to grow that audience over the course of the next year or two. That would be nice. That would be wonderful. But hi, mom and dad, for what it's worth. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. But uh, all jokes aside, this podcast is dedicated to all sorts of detours uh, that we go through in life. Oftentimes, we're heading down a path and we think that we want to have a life with a wife and two and a half kids and a white picket fence. And God says, "Uh, you know what, I'm going to send you down this detour because I'm trying to turn you into a closer image to, to who I am. And I'm going to teach you a few things along the way. So, sure. Yeah, he's done that with all of us. So that's what this podcast is dedicated to. And when Deb and I kind of sat down and thought through, well, what's the content that we want to start producing for season number one? uh, What we kind of landed on was was our marriage. We've been married for three wonderful years. Oh, it has been wonderful. Yeah, it has been a very quick three years, as a matter of fact. And we knew each other probably a couple of years before we got married, mm-hmm. uh, two or three years in total before we got married. And my goodness, for the five or six years, whatever it's been, it's been very, very quick and very wonderful and a whirlwind and, and so many different things. Uh, but we we kind of need to start at the very, very beginning, long before we met. So uh like I said, we've been married about three years, and I was basically 40 when we got married, and you're just a few years older than I am, so that clearly isn't the beginning of the story. True. There is a, a long story ahead of that. So where where do we even begin? What, what in your eyes? I think every beginning starts with, you know, your life prior to Jesus, your childhood, your experiences that kind of shape your perception in life, and... Uh, we come from very different backgrounds. Yes, absolutely we do. You know, I'm the loud, crazy Italian, and you're the reserved... I'm an introvert through and through. Oh, yes. I could sit in this recording studio <laughs> and work a 40-hour work week and be completely content. And not and talk you, to anyone. Oh, you would be clawing clawing the, the, the foam off the walls if you were in this situation. I but, would. But uh, all jokes aside, so so yeah, you had a very different history than than I did growing up, and you already mentioned you're from an Italian family. Yes. So what did what did your younger life look like? Younger life was filled with uh, you know family dinners and lots of uh, laughter, but also a lot of yelling and. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's pretty typical in an Italian family. Yeah, long meals. Yes. Long meals. We love our long meals. Long meals, talking with your hands. For sure. I'm sure we're going to have to pay an editor to edit this podcast as you talk with your hands and you hit the microphone. And also, I don't think we could do it any other way. If you want an authentic dev, it has to be with hands. So use your hands when you tell this story, please. (laughs) So, so what was, what was young life like? You were born where? I was born in Jersey, and when I was two, we all moved to New Jersey. I have a brother and a sister. Um, My mom and dad decided that Houston, Texas was going to be the place to be. That's where all Italians go, Houston, Texas. Okay, makes sense. So out of place. Okay. We we really were. Um, I remember my mom getting, oh, you're not from here. And she'd go, yeah, I'm from here. I'm from, you know, deep. what What would she say? Uh, East, oh, I'm butchering it. We should have my mother on the show. She would do a great job of just being herself. I don't know if the airwaves can handle your mother, um, but we'll we'll see what we can do. Yeah, okay. But she, yeah, your your parents are are straight off the boat from Italy. Yes, no, no, no. no? Okay, no. Uh, second generation. Second Italian. generation. Okay. Yes. 
Mom's from uh, Brooklyn. Dad's from East Harlem, you know, and where everything was written in Italian. They had their own little community of um, family and friends and very much Houston was different than what they grew up with. I can only imagine. Yeah. And and so you probably felt out of place growing up in Houston or I did didn't. you fit right my, in? My sister and brother did because when I moved there I was two. Okay. My sister will tell you stories of how awkward it was to be from the East Coast and coming into Texas. But for me, I was two and I didn't really know any different. Um, I know that people around me did, you know, life differently than we did, but I didn't think that was wrong or bad. It just was different. Not everybody had pasta Sundays. No, they didn't do family dinners. They only had Kool-Aid in the refrigerator and like Wonder Bread. And I was like, where? Okay. Where's your food? They they didn't have all the wine. No. It was Kool-Aid instead of wine. Oh, lots of Kool-Aid, lots of Miracle Whip, lots of white bread. And that was just like, people are different than us, Mom, Dad. Wow. Okay. for sure. So you grew up in in Texas. You said you were there for, what, about a decade, you said? We were there, yep, 10 years. So I left when we were 12. When I was 12, my brother decided to stay in Texas. He seemed to like it very much. My sister was kind of the prompting of, hey... We don't fit here. Let's go back to New Jersey. I'm going back to New Jersey. If you want to come, I think we should all go together. And that's how it happened. Okay, so you go back to Jersey. Yeah. Did you feel like you fit in in Jersey? Or, again, you were so young, was it just like this is brand new? Well, you know, when you move early on in life, there's that you're the new kid. If I could just be honest, I don't think I ever felt like a fit. Not until I became... A Christian and actually had real community did I ever feel like I fit and the life choices I made um, along the way really put me in a I didn't have a category so I got pregnant in high school and you know everybody was doing proms and homecomings and looking for colleges and I was doing diapers and um, so it was different everyone that I knew was older who had kids but that's that's not in jersey no you fast forwarded there you skipped so you're in jersey for how long the second time uh two and a half years okay so So you're a young teenager Mm -hmm. and dad says it's too cold here dad says it's too cold here okay (laughs) that sounds about right okay he's always knowing 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 Johnny, that does sound like something he would say so he says it's too cold up here i want to go somewhere warm What's in Florida? Is it Disney World? Is it hot weather? What brings him to Florida? We had we had friends here. My mom and dad had a friend here that had um, an ice cream shop. They thought it was a great place. Come down and check it out. Um, I don't know what prompted the move. It certainly wasn't them, but knowing that they had friends here probably made it easier to move here. It's not like they were just moving to Florida and knew nobody. And they were from New York, these friends. So it felt kind of like communal, like, okay, we have our people. We can go there. And my dad's a barber, so he can cut hair anywhere. Sure. Um, You know. Okay. So you come down. So you're a young teen. I'm in middle school when we get here. Okay. Yeah. So you gave away one of the punchlines. You said you became pregnant as a, a teenager. Yes. So how how old were you when you I was in 10th grade. 10th grade. So yes. you're looking right around just after getting a driver's license, right? 16, 17 years old? Yeah. I, I didn't start school when everyone else did because of my birthday. So it was more like um, eight, 17 turning 18. Okay. So this is the first, we're going to call it the first major detour. Sure. Uh, clearly when you're 16, 17 years old, you're not planning on getting pregnant. No. So talk me through how I got there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are all the, what were the steps? So step number one is always yep. kind of the context of who you are prior to this, this happening. So where are you at? Are you, are you in a rebellious time in life? Uh, you know, what, what exactly is going on? Well, moving, you know, moving at that age and already feel, feeling like you didn't fit in, um, middle school is brutal. Uh, 
trying to be accepted, trying to be what people want you to be. Um, I remember it being in South Florida, very materialistic. And we weren't really, we didn't have the means to go buy fancy clothes. And so it was just this constant ridicule from my peers. Um, and I felt to, I got to a point where it was just like, well, if no one's going to like me, I'm going to seek out people who will. And typically the the partiers or the stoners or the rebels, they take everybody in. Yeah, you can be part of us. And I wound up in a a bad crowd. And I think I was seeking, like most people, even into adulthood, I was seeking like, I just want to belong. I just want, I want to have purpose. I want to, I want to have something that feels like I'm loved. Yeah, acceptance is, yeah. is critical. Yeah. Um, so... Okay, so you're seeking acceptance, right? And so you meet a guy. I meet how, a guy. How? What? What is the story there? Unpack that for me. I meet a guy at a party. And awesome. He's charismatic. He's an extrovert. He's leading the charge and being a storyteller. And coming from an Italian family, storytelling is so familiar to me. You know, you sit around the dinner table and tell stories. And here was this guy and he was telling stories and people were laughing. And he was what I thought at the time, handsome. And um, we wound up talking and we had the same birthday. And oh my goodness, I can't believe you're born on November 10th. And you know, that was the icebreaker. And he was much older than me. And that was very intriguing. And he kind of fit that whole like bad boy I don't need anybody uh, I don't fit either don't worry about it it's just me and you kid that kind of thing and I I just totally thought that was the greatest hook line and sinker oh, bought the whole thing for sure for sure okay so do you guys hit it off and start dating right away pretty Does much it... yeah we we have our first conversation and then we were inseparable in a sense and spent you know time on the phone together and any time I had the weekend um, we would get together and, and date and I didn't really introduce him to my parents obviously because he was much older so I snuck around for a bit yeah okay and so um, when when do you introduce him to the parents oh probably a couple of months in it was like okay I really like this guy a lot and they did not like him Obviously, you know, I'm 17, he's 24. I would think that they would say, you know, this is unacceptable. And I think what they were trying to do was play it off. Like, well, if we do this, she's just going to run into his arms. So they didn't say anything. And looking back, I kind of wish they they would have said, hey, listen, you, you can do better than this. Would you have listened? No, probably not. <laughs> but like, that's what you're supposed to do as a parent. You don't, you don't play the bluff game. Okay. But anyway, so I, oh, we had a Christmas party and it was a, a literally a Christmas party for his job. That's how much older he was for me. We had a corporate Christmas party and you know, I underage drink, drank and I think we can, you know, fill in the blanks and find out that I'm pregnant. <laughs> so how long from meeting him until you find out? I We dated, we were, I don't know, seeing each other. I think we were nine months into dating. Okay, nine months into dating and you find out you're pregnant. You're 17-ish yes. years old yeah. when you find out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and he's initially happy he's initially furious what's he doing he was very supportive he was very supportive yeah he was like listen whatever you want to do i'm here for you um i'm not going to tell you what to do which i thought was interesting because you're the dad but i appreciated that there was no pressure one way or the other and um I just didn't, even as a non-Christian, I, I did not think that abortion was going to be something I could live with. I didn't. Sure. And I even was like, okay, adoption could be good, but I'm always going to wonder who this kid is. I'm always going to wonder, you know, on his birthday, where is he? What is he doing? What does his eyes look like? What is his favorite thing? What's his, you know, 
what makes him laugh? I'm always going to wonder about this kid. I can't, I don't think I can do this giving away thing. Um, so how long did it take you to make a decision that you were going to keep Anthony? I think in my head, I tried to leave the option open that I would just, if I really, I think the decision was made when I saw him, when I gave birth to him. I think in the back of my head, I knew that adoption wasn't going to work either, but I, I couldn't say it out loud because I was scared. I was a teenager. And when I saw him, I was just like, wow, that's my kid. <laughs> and he, he was a cute baby. This oh. was not so, it, it, and let's be honest, let's be real. There's some ugly babies out there. There are. And Anthony was not one of those babies. Oh, he was adorable. And his cheeks were so full. You just wanted to bite him. Yes, he, he was a cute kid. I, I saw the pictures. Yes. So, so, okay, so you have Anthony. How much longer are you guys together? Oh, gosh, we really tried to play house. I call it playing house because we weren't married um, for four years. And I, at some point I said, hey, listen, I you're the father of this child. We're living together. I don't want to call you my boyfriend. I would like to be married. And he wouldn't marry me. And I just thought, what do you mean you're not going to marry me? Like, I'm the mother of your child. We're living together. How is this possible? You don't want to marry me. And so I said to him at some point, now we were together four years, so it's three and a half years in. And I finally get to the point where I'm like, listen, you're either going to marry me and make a decision or I'm going to go. And he took that as an ultimatum. And he was like, well, nobody's going to give me an ultimatum. And I said, it's not an ultimatum. It's just, it's a fact. That's it. I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm not, I'm not playing a game here. We're either going to do this life together or I'm going to do it without you. And so do you, do you know what his hesitation was initially? Was it fear of commitment? Was it <laughs> he still wasn't all in on you and Anthony? Was it? No, I think he had a, he was married previous. Now I met him at 24, so he must've got married really young and it was a treacherous, fast marriage. Um, and they were divorced. So he assumed now all marriage was bad. Okay. So he had some brokenness that he was bringing yes. baggage, if you will. Um, all of us have it coming into a relationship. So mm -hmm. that was playing into it. So yes. you give him the ultimatum. Yes. He says, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't no think it thanks. was an ultimatum. You give him the option. There you go. You can either take this gift or you can choose yes. to reject it. Uh, and and sadly, he, he was not all in the same way that you were and you wanted him to be. Right. So the split happens. Yes. And... Looking back, I'm so grateful because we brought out the worst in each other, and I think it would have been a bad family environment for my son. And so I pick up my stuff, and of course my parents are like, you can come home, you know, and I was, I was, thank you very much, but no thank you. I, you know, I need to do this on my own. And um, I also wanted to be able to raise my child the way I saw fit, and they did the best they could do as parents, but yet, you know, I, I had some things I wanted to do differently than they did. And so I said, no, I'll, I'll do this on my own. And I got this little tiny uh, efficiency apartment in the worst side of town. And uh, I remember walking into that apartment with Anthony and he was four and he looked around and up and down and it was one bathroom, one tiny bedroom, and a, like an efficiency-sized kitchen. And he said, it's nice, Mommy. Where's the rest of it? <laughs> it's, it's amazing how just sometimes the innocence of kids can be so adorable, but yet it can just cut you like to it. the bone where you're just like, this is it, buddy. <laughs> That's this, what I said. <laughs> you're looking at it, man. We're going to get to know each other real well. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... I do the single parent thing, um, you know, on a very, very, very limited budget. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know how I afforded to do it. I don't think in today's economy somebody could afford to do what I did. You know, we, I had to put them in child care. So between child care and work and just barely making the bills, uh, we stayed in that apartment for 
a period of time, not that long actually. And what I learned about myself later on was I was in a pattern of I was jumping from one person to the other. And so I was a, at that time, a commodity or currency, because sometimes you did currency or commodity, day trader. So I would be in a brokerage environment. I wasn't a broker, but I was the one that placed all the um, trades. And brokers are very charming people. They're, um, they're salesmen. And I met someone, and he was the exact opposite to Anthony's dad. He was cultured and handsome and articulate, and he had money, and he was educated. So the pendulum swings the other way. I mean, extremely. I saw someone just completely opposite from this, you know, cigarette-smoking, drug guy in, you know, tattoos and motorcycles, and I see this very cultured man who, who takes an interest in me. And so how quickly after meeting, what, first of all, what's his name? Phil. Phil. No. Phil was, is Anthony's well, right. dad. And then I this met guy. Phil and then um, Andrew comes into the picture. Andrew's after this new, the new guy. Okay. So how long oh. after you meet Andrew do you guys start, start dating? Is it quick? Oh gosh. Yes. I mean. <laughs> why waste time, right? right? Why Why pump the brakes to see if it's a right. good guy and make sense? Okay. No, I so. Was... Very, very, very lost. <laughs> okay. So you jump into yet another relationship. Right. So this is still, you're still in Florida at the time. I'm still in Florida. Okay. And I think that the idea was, here is somebody who is, I thought maybe better than me. And looking back, I, I think I thought of him as being in a better class. And I know he looked at me as low class because when we divorced he made sure to tell me I was from the other side of the tracks which I thought was a terrible thing to say but maybe subconsciously I thought that about him and I thought well I'd be marrying up and I say marrying because within uh, gosh I'm talking about like 90 days of dating he pops the question oh goodness yes and he listen he wines and dines me he tells me everything I want to hear. I want to take care of your son. I want to put you in a position where you don't have to work. Now listen, I'm eating Top Ramen and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as a single mom, and you're telling me I don't have to work. I want to care for your kid. My dad kind of, you know, left, and my, and my stepfather adopted me, and I always felt like that was home, like he was my real dad. He was telling me the things that I thought I wanted and he was very convincing and so I said yeah okay let's do this and we get married in Las Vegas yeah so I, I think that in and of itself just a man or woman for that matter saying the things that the other person wants to mm -hmm. hear we could do an entire season just on that isn't that the truth because there are so many red flags in that right um but we'll continue on this for now. So yes. this is 90 kind of days like in. The, the overall picture. So 90 days in, he pops the question, how quickly do you run to Vegas? Um, he pops the question. I get a ring on my finger. He moves me to Colorado away from my family. But, but how long after asking the question does it take you to get married? How, how long? Long enough to move to Colorado, get a place, and then within that month of moving there, we, we get married. So. Okay. And you were in Colorado. Why Colorado? He had a job opportunity as a broker to work at a firm and be the head broker. Okay. And I was up for adventure. I'm, I'm kind of glad I got to see Colorado. It was definitely very different than Florida. Oh, my best buddy lives out there. It's a beautiful state. It really is. It's one of the states I would consider living in. Absolutely. Understood. I would, I would oh, yeah. back there. Yeah. Okay. So you're out there in Colorado mm -hmm. and do you, you're married. So he said you can work if you want to, but you don't have to. So what do you do? Well, you know me as a wife, right? I don't do well not working. Okay. Like, I crawl the walls. So very quickly in, after getting the house nested and getting Anthony in school and doing all the things that make a home a home, I'm now like, well, now what do I do with myself? How many times can you go to the gym? How many times can you go shopping? Like, 
I was not set up to be one of these like trophy wives. I, that made no sense to me. I need to produce. So I say, I want to go to school. Oh, that's great. What do you want to do? Why don't you take some art classes? Okay, I'll take some art classes. And that was fun. And then I'm like, but what am I going to do with this? I decide I want to be a real estate agent. And he was like, uh, okay, sure, go for it. You, you could do it. And he seemed pretty supportive at first. And where where did that come from? I don't remember. We're talking 20-something years ago. I don't know. Okay. I knew that I liked people. I knew that um, every day would be different. And I didn't have a college degree. So it seemed like an easy fix. Okay. So you get a job and you become a real estate agent. Well, as I'm going to school, he seems really supportive. As I get closer to take the state exam, he's like, you're never going to pass this. And I don't do well with people telling me I'm not capable. Like that just ticks me off to no end. And so I said, well, I guess you really don't know me very well. And the funny thing is he really didn't. And that just, don't tell me I can't do something. So I studied and the state exam is kind of as hard as the bar is. It is a hard, hard exam to pass. Anyone out there that's listening are, are four parents, <laughs> but it is very hard. So I studied really hard. I passed on my first try. I have a picture of me um, on my license where my eyes are all puffy because I had cried the night before because he didn't believe I could do it. And that just crushed me. And so I have this puffy eyed picture of me passing my exam. And that's, you know, that was what was on my license. I'm like, oh, and I start to uh, pursue clients and so on. And then he's like, I don't want you to work. And I said, well, what was the point? Yeah. Why did you, what, what are we doing here? You told me I could work if I wanted to or not work. You were going to support me. And he said, well, I just don't think it's right for you to work. I said, you don't think it's right? And basically the gist of it was his identity was in being the big man at his job and being able to take care of his trophy wife. And that's what he wanted. He wanted a yes woman who didn't have a mind of her own, who basically took care of the home. And that was not Deborah Marsalisi then, and it's not Deborah Marsalisi now. And so, um, I mean, I do think I take care of the home nice, but... I think you're a trophy wife. <laughs> oh, you're sweet. But, okay, but you understood. Don't you don't treat me like that. Sure. And that was the demo pretty much the demise of the marriage. Um, with the, That was kind of what got the ball rolling, and then he... I guess he was angry and decided he was going to cheat. And he took this woman on a company picnic and I found out about it. And um, I approached him at his office. There was a big scene and uh, I filed for divorce. Wow. And all the things that he was promising you that, that he would, you know, adopt your, your son and so on and so forth. All those things that he knew you wanted to hear. Yes. Did he actually execute on any of them? Um, no, not even the, I'll financially take care of you. I mean, he, he racked up my credit card bills, something terrible. And wow. I, and I let him, I, you know, I have to take responsibility that I let him. Um, he really didn't bond with my son. I don't even think he was all that nice to him. Um, he wanted my son to be something he wasn't. He wanted to put him in sports, and my son really didn't want that. He wanted to do art. You know, he wanted to send him away to boarding school. I'm like, what? No, we're not sending my kid to boarding school. Like, so no, every promise that he made was bogus. And so how long were you two married before <laughs> you got divorced? Eight, 18 months. 18 months. So there, there's detour number two. Yes. Okay, you go out to Colorado. Yes. You're on this detour for 18 months mm -hmm. and ends badly. So the plan is now I'm going to go back to Florida where at least there's a support system for me. Yes. Or what's what's the logic there? The logic is I wanted my son to be raised near his grandparents. I gotcha. wanted him to have the big family dinners. I wanted him to have the crazy loud storytelling. And Florida was familiar Okay. I mean, I didn't really have anybody in Texas and I didn't want, I really never wanted to live in New Jersey. So I decided let's go 
me and Anthony, let's go back to New Jersey. Let's go back to Florida. Okay. So you come back to Florida. Yes. I come back to Florida. So how long before detour number three? Oh, detour number three. Well, I get to Florida and you want to talk about funny. I wind up moving right next to Phil. Anthony's dad. And oh, goodness. On purpose? It. Okay. No, this is an accident. have no idea. Have no idea. As I'm moving my U-Haul truck, I, you know how you look out the window and you just, you're looking at nothing. But we pass by a Wendy's and I'm like, wow, that looks like Phil. And that Wendy's was right by my house. And I had this really, I think, deep feeling like, oh, gosh, that can't be Phil. And then I move in and I, I meet my postman and my son had his last name. And he's like, wow, there's a guy that has that last name, like, in this next complex. And he points, and it's really right, like, right next door. What, what is this infamous last name? I don't know if we should tell it on the air. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Smith. Well, yeah, whatever. Okay, Some Italian last Smith. name, right? That, that says Italian all over oh, it. Oh, okay. doesn't it? Okay, all right. And so I describe him to the postman, and he goes, yeah, that's the guy. And he never smiles either. And I'm like, oh, no. So lo and behold, um, I thought, ah, this is probably one of those God moments, even though I wasn't a Christian or I always believed in God. Like this is too much of a coincidence to move right next to your son's father. It's just impossible. It has to be a God thing. So eventually I decide to um, knock on his door and say, hey, your son's living right next door to you. Uh, if you'd like to have some sort of relationship, um, we can talk about that. And how I, did he receive that? Well, he was pissed that I moved to Colorado. Oh, so, so he, he was excited then to see you. Oh, yeah. He was just as pleasant as when I left him. I, I can only imagine. Okay. He was pretty excited about seeing Anthony, um, you know, and... Phil, I think, really wanted to be a good dad and just was not equipped to do that. And so okay. he was in and out of Anthony's life uh, most of his life. And to this day, I think they haven't spoken now for five, six years, just um, unfortunately for for Phil, because Anthony's an amazing man. Um, and then I start working again in brokerage, marry, marry another broker. I meet another broker. His name is Mike. <laughs> oh, goodness. This is going to be good. Okay. Uh, so, um, and him and I had a lot more in common than anyone else. And, and, and like I was saying earlier, how, what's the time frame here? After, after Again, you I, get I, back. I man jumped. I totally man jumped. So I got back. I meet him. It's six months seemed to be my pattern. <laughs> okay. So six months after divorce, you're right back in a relationship. Yes. But not a, like, a full-blown relationship. I wanted a friendship. He wanted more. And I think at some point he gave me a sales pitch. What do I have that any other man doesn't have? And I didn't have a good answer because he was really, he was my friend first. We date, we we were friends for six months, but like I knew he wanted more. And okay. I really wasn't attracted to him. So he makes the sales pitch. Yes. And do you I go, okay, I'll give this a shot right away? Or is no, it the I pursuit? No, I called my sister and she's like, did you kiss him? And again, this is all pre-Jesus. Did you kiss him? And I said, well, no, he's just my friend. She goes, you have to kiss him to know. And I'm like, I do? So I kiss him. Terrible kisser. Ugh. I was like, so I call her back up. I'm like, what do I do now? He can't kiss. Um, she's like, you know what? He's he's Italian. He's well, that seals the deal right there, right? Obviously. Did you know at the time? Now I'm going to fast forward because I know some things about you. Did you know at that point that his family took jars of ragu and doctored it up? Oh my gosh! Oh, so terrible. They, no. didn't, they didn't even make fresh sauce. And no. I mean, I'm not Italian, but even I know that that is sacrilege. Oh, totally. But you didn't know this. You no, didn't know I, the I guy was doctoring not... up ragu. Otherwise, no, you wouldn't. I might have not married him. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that comes later. All right, fine, fair enough. Yes, and so we, um, he was on the heels of a divorce. Um, he was not fully divorced. He was not divorced yet. He was separated 
Or at least that is what he told me. And I had no reason not to believe him. So we had, I think what you would call is almost like a trauma bond. We, we both come out of very bad um, relationships. We had similar childhoods. We had struggles with being um, put in group homes for a period of time, which we didn't talk about. But yeah, so we had some very similar stories and they were, they were hard stories. And that seemed to be what was the common thread when we dated was like how bad our story was. And so that was the bond. And I felt comfortable because I could share my my junk with him and he had his own junk. So we were both messed up. And I thought, well, we're both messed up. We're both Italian. We're both messed up. You know. Two wrongs make a right. I think that's what I was thinking. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. That's the, the you know, and that again, always leads to a happy, healthy relationship, you know, of when course. When you're unschooled in relationships and don't understand the love of Jesus, then yes. <laughs> okay. So so Jesus is still not in the picture no, at this point. He is so not. So you begin dating Mike. Right. We we eventually get married. We live together for two years. Prior um, to getting married. Prior to getting married. Okay, so two years in you get married. Yes. And he has a son from this uh ex wife and um, the kids start to, you know, it was kind of a rough go doing the blended family thing, but they wound up, you know, getting into the rhythm and it was very family like, and my parents loved him and his parents loved me. And it was really a happy start. I mean, at least I thought it was. And, um, we enjoyed each other, you know, quite a bit. And when I met him, he was in recovery for 15 years and I had no experience with um, recovering alcoholics or addicts. I didn't really, I didn't understand. I didn't know. And so he tells me, you know, I really don't think I was ever an addict. I think I was a rebellious teenager. So for me, I understood what that meant because I was too. And, you know, I experimented like most rebellious teenagers and you know, maybe I drank a little too much and my mom got really worried and put me in a group home. But I, I don't think I was an addict. And because, you know, the whole group home thing was up and coming, I think they sales pitched my mom into putting me into a group home. I don't think I was an alcoholic. Seemed like a reasonable story to me. It really did because I partied as a teenager and I wasn't an addict. So pff, sounded right. And so he said, I think I'd like to start drinking again. You know, I just want to tell you because I don't want you to be surprised because, I, you know, you've met me and I've been sober all these years. And I said, um, uh, are you sure? That was yeah. The one thing I said was, are you sure? And he goes, I really am. And wow. Yeah, that that had to have been that. That's not like a blatant red flag. Right, because a blatant red flag would be he's doing it without telling you. Right. But it's almost, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, he almost came to you asking for permission? Yes, it seemed like it to me too. Do you think he would have not drank if you said, babe, I don't want you to drink? I don't think this is a good idea for X, Y, and Z reasons. I actually think he wouldn't have drank if I said that for a period of time, but eventually... You he think would've. he would have? Yeah, I think he would have kind of taken that into consideration and maybe went, oh, I don't know, let, let me think about it. But he was destined to drink because he's an addict, and I didn't know that. Like, So I say, well, you know, if you're sure, and, you know, if you think that it's going to get out of hand, you need to go back to AA. <laughs> so I watched a downward spiral. didn't happen instantaneously. I also drank and partied when the kids were with the other set of parents. We did make it a point not to do that in front of our children. Um, you know, they'd be in bed, like long in bed before we'd crack open. He'd crack open a beer and I'd have a drink. And, um, you know, it just, it happened. And then it was more alcohol and more alcohol. And I was like, wow, there's a lot more alcohol. And then I made a few comments like, hey, you know, you seem to be drinking more often. Well, you know, he would come up with some excuse and I would, what do I say now? 
Um, I think what really sunk in was the let's go to a bar. And we found a regular watering hole. It was like, everybody knows your name. And looking back now as a woman who has had some life experience behind her and Jesus in her corner, I realized that that became Michael's church. That became his idol, his God. This is where he found identity. This is where everyone knew his name. He started playing guitar again, and he was the superstar. Um, oh, Mike, play us something. And it became every weekend that we didn't have the kids. We were there. And then he started to go. Um, he stopped doing family dinners, and he started to, well, I'm going to play cards and go to the bar. Mm. And then it became Sundays. And so it became like, you know, three days out of the week he was there. And um, at some point, I have an experience with Jesus. And that's a really cool story. God found me in the midst of that. And I, I started even prior to coming to Jesus going, God, this is so empty. This is so empty. Yeah. What was that? Was that a longing going, I'm not finding my identity in this bar. Why am I, to use Christianese terms, why am I going back to an empty well? What, what, what caused that shift in your brain? Well, I didn't feel like these people were my friends. I felt like, yeah, you want to sit at a bar stool with me and hang out and talk about my life, but you you wouldn't be there if I was crying or I was upset or I was having financial problems. If I needed a friend, you wouldn't care less. So I'm I'm starting to see people for who they are. They're they're people who are wearing a mask just well, like I am. They're people at a bar. Yeah. People go to a bar for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. I love going and catching a ball game every once in a while. But when it becomes part of your identity, it's your identity for a reason. Right. You know, I'm a musician, and, and when we would go on tour, uh, you would see groupies are a thing. And it's not just because they liked what we played. It was any time I'm around these guys, I can drink and I'm not going to be judged. And that very much became more of their identity than ever being a groupie of the, the, the band that was playing on stage. It was, it was very sad. It, it was one of the reasons why I ended up leaving uh, you know, the touring circuit is, is it was just so depressing to see people like that is they're absolutely, yeah. they're so tired of being themselves, I guess. They're so unhappy with who they are. They have to escape. They have that. That's why I think Halloween is becoming more and more. There's a lot more behind that comment, but that that's part of it is Halloween. I can pretend to be something I'm not. Same thing with cosplay. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there is innocence in some of this stuff, but I think the, the overwhelming majority of these of people that, that celebrate these things and do this, there, there's some, some sadness behind it to say the least. And it sounds like Mike was no, no different, but you, you did mention Jesus is in your corner so do you have a but God moment in the midst of all of this? Yeah, well, prior to, you know, having that moment, I was I was trying to find like fulfillment. I had thought, well, I'll be the best yoga teacher I could be. I'll you know, I'll read the Bhagavad Gita's, I'll uh I'll look at new age religion, I'll I'll meditate, I'll be a good person. Like I was really on a quest for several years prior to having this but Jesus moment and I kept coming up empty like really this is this isn't it why why isn't this it let me go to something else and why isn't this it let me go to something else and um I'll tell you it's amazing that God takes you just as you are and thank God he doesn't leave you where you are because I had a but Jesus moment I was already feeling kind of like Ugh, the bar we're going back to the bar but you know that's what we did that's that was our thing that was Mike and Deb's thing and so it's a weekend and we don't have the kids and uh, it took me forever to get dressed so I would look good for people at the bar and we get to the bar and there's a bartender there and um you know a bartender likes you when they when they just sauce you up and she looked at me and she was very flirtatious with me. And she's like, oh, I'm, you look great tonight. I'm going to get you so wasted. 
And, you know, when you're not a Christian and you're at a bar, that, that means free drinks. That means, you know, ooh, fun. And so I laughed, and I had the first drink, and, um, you know, it was very strong and delicious, and I had the second drink. And the last thing I remember of that night was seeing my bright red lipstick on the edge of that drink. That was the last thing I remember. I don't remember anything else. And that was kind of the <laughs> not knowing what you've done, not knowing how you got there, not knowing what happened and someone else having to explain it to you is the most, for me, it was the most gut-wrenching depths of depravity I had ever reached because I could not recollect. And I think God used that. I know that God used that, that depravity to bring me to him. And, you know, the next morning I wake up and I was like, hey, where's my clothes? I didn't know what happened to them, you know. And I go downstairs um, and see my husband pouring a cup of coffee. And I say, hey, good morning. And he's kind of very cold. And um, I said, do you know what happened to my clothes? And he looked at me and he goes, ugh, you don't even remember, do you? Well, that's a scary thing to hear. Especially from someone that spends so much time at the bar drinking himself. Yeah. Okay. So that's a pretty serious uh, yeah. accusation. It, so, And instead of walking next to me, he literally walks around me to avoid me, goes into the garage, and he opens the garage door. He looks back, and he goes, we should talk. Oh, my Lord. We should talk. And so I pour myself a cup of coffee, and I am trying my hardest to go, okay, what happened last night? What is he so mad about? And I'm pouring the coffee, and I'm just thinking, gosh, nothing's coming to mind. What could possibly have happened? You literally didn't remember anything. I did not. Now, looking back, I know it was a, an alcohol-induced blackout. I had a blackout. Sure. And um, that, like, few inches from the coffee pot to the garage door, because we used to smoke cigarettes in the garage because we didn't want to smoke in the house. And that few inches, man. That was like the longest journey of my life. I did not want to have this conversation because, again, I don't know what I did. I walk in the smoke-filled garage, and he's just sitting there with a like, smug look on his face. And I sit down, and he proceeds to tell me an evening. And I just, I'm trying to piece it together. Like, did this really happen? Like, wow, did I do that? And he's just going on and on. And I'm sitting there and I feel like I'm getting smaller and smaller as he's talking to me. Like I am just, I'm in a shame cycle right now. I'm just spiraling down. And then he gets up and anytime you're sitting down and someone gets up and speaks down to you, that's what it feels like. You feel like a, a child being scolded and he goes, I think I'll leave you here to think about what you've done and I was just like... Whoa. Pull the parent move on you. Totally. And he leaves me in the garage. The garage door is opened. And I'm just... I'm in shock. I'm like, get, get, I can't believe this. And he and he just walks out. Like, he's so perfect, I'm thinking to myself. And uh, I light a cigarette. And I take a long drag. And I turn my head and look across the street. And it's Sunday morning. And I'm totally hungover. And this is beautiful, tiny, couldn't be more than 50 congregants in this church, little tiny Baptist church directly across the street. And it's a black church. And black people dress up for church. They know how to do it right. So I see these people coming out of the church to their cars, Bibles underneath their arms, beautiful white gloves and hats and suits. And I'm like, wow, look at them. Now, I say this now knowing that this is not a true statement. I say to myself, man, they got their whole life put together, and here I am contemplating mine. Like, they're perfect, and I'm a piece of garbage. And I don't think it was an audible voice. I know it wasn't audible, but I heard the voice of God say, do you know you've lived by a church your entire life? Oh, man. I cross my arms, I throw myself back into the chair I was sitting, and I think, 
And man, like, you know, like a movie reel, when you're thinking about all your memories, just start playing. And every single house from childhood to where I had lived, and that was like 14 different houses, there was a church. It's amazing because, like you, there's only one instance in my life where I, I would say I heard the voice of God, but it, I would also say it wasn't an audible voice. Right. It was more like a spirit-to-spirit type of undeniable, mm-hmm. just something. And it's amazing. I could probably get dementia. I could probably, you could think of any of the worst things, health-wise, this, that, and the other, that could happen to me in my life. And I think I would, no matter what, I would always forever remember what God said because it was such an intimate time in my life and it was that spirit to spirit very short conversation yeah one it was two lines but it was the ripple effects of of just what God said when he said it how he said it so precise so to the the point lines he said Michael I love you you will have peace Mm -hmm. and that was it and I, I was going through a similar, <laughs> excuse me, a, a, just a, a massive, tremendous trial. And I was on the beach in Fort Lauderdale just praying. I, I was an absolute wreck. I was probably, I don't think at the time I was crying, but I probably had been. <clears throat> excuse me. And he just chose the one day, the one time where I was probably at my lowest. Because that's that's so many times that's when he comes to you, right? Yeah. When you're weak. I am strong, and yeah. I was so weak in that moment. And and God came and and He just said those two little lines to me. And it, it's amazing when you have one of those but God moments. Oh, yeah. So so God speaks to you. You're sitting there smoking a cigarette, looking, admiring these other people. Hungover. Hungover. Uh huh. What happens? Do you walk back inside? No, I was rebellious. I threw myself back into the chair I was sitting in. I crossed my arms. I say to this voice, I know I didn't hear out loud, are you trying to tell me something? And I just sat there, and I couldn't get that out of my head that I had lived in all these places. And I get another, I've been calling you your whole life. And I I, I know I heard that in my spirit. And I just was rocked calling me my whole life I just sat there and kind of sat in that awe and disbelief and kind of mad like what do I do with this and you know I think God has a way of and and this is my experience I don't know if you can relate or if anyone listening can relate but almost like you're being pressed by the hand of God like I felt like those statements You've lived by a church your whole life. Uh, you know, I, I've been calling you. It was like I couldn't, I couldn't escape that. It kept coming up. It kept over and over and over again, kept coming up. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. So a week later, I finally was like, fine, okay. Well, all right, what does this mean? I'll go find a church. So <laughs> I tell Michael, uh... Okay, so I feel like I need to go to church. And he goes, church? Uh, Why? And I go, I just, I don't, I cannot be this person. I cannot be this person. And I don't think he got the, the, how like raw that was for me. Like I did not want to be this woman. I didn't like who I showed up as. I didn't feel like I had any purpose in life. I was barely hanging on to being a good human being, to being a good mom. I had no real solid friendships. I was so lost and and lonely. And I couldn't be this woman anymore. And I meant it. And I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that I couldn't do this anymore. And so he was like, well, okay, I mean, Go knock yourself out. I said, will you come with me? And he's like, no. I said, okay. I was going to go whether he was coming or not. And I had grown up in a Catholic church, and I just never felt like that was the right fit. I always felt like that was empty, and that was very um, 
ritualistic and I never felt God there. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any source or frame of reference to a Christian except for my brother who was, he was the guy on the corner with the bullhorn. And I'm not, you know, this isn't fake. I'm telling you, he had a bullhorn and he would scream like John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is nigh, repent. And he'd scream at people in vehicles. While he's eating locusts? He didn't do that, but it would have been pretty spot on John the Baptist if he had. And he was just so, he was such a weird, not nice man. And I was just like, for a long time, I was like, man, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. So I didn't really know where to go. And the only other person that was a Christian that I knew was Michael's ex-wife. Really, honestly. So... Here Nothing says the peace of Christ like an ex-wife. Oh my gosh, and she was she was something. She was a piece of work. So by this point in the relationship, we had gone through some massive ups and downs, screaming matches, you know, I'm the horrible person, blah blah blah. But by this time we were civil. We were civil enough to talk about her son who I was raising several days out of the week and making school lunches for, we were civil. So I, she calls, so I answer the phone. She's calling for Anthony, checking on a book report. We talk about the book report. And then I don't know what possessed me. The Spirit of God said, hey, you need to ask. So I ask her, you know that church you go to? Uh, do they have child care? Now, Mike, you, Calvary Chapel's huge. I... So that which Calvary Chapel? This is Fort Calvary Lauderdale. Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Calvary Chapel, yeah, there there are probably twenty thousand people. Yes. On any given weekend at all of their locations, yes. so yeah, they probably got childcare. So why I even asked that, I don't know, but I was the girl, and again, please remember, if you're tuning in sometime midway, I was not a Christian at the time. I would go, oh, that's the cult compound, those weird Christians. Let's hope they're not drinking Kool-Aid. You know, I was just so, I was so anti-God at the time. And, you know, so I say, I know they have a child care, but I say it. And she goes, oh, my goodness, yes, they do. And I'm taking you. And she was so persistent and so excited, and I didn't know what else to do. And she was, she pretty much told me she was going to take me to church, and I couldn't say no. So I get off the phone, and I, I look like I just, like a doe in the headlights, you know. And Michael goes, what? What's going on? Yeah, how do you break this news to your current husband? So you're looking at your current husband, and you just got off the phone with his ex-wife, <laughs> and you're about to break the news to say, I'm going, you, you're going to the bar. I'm going to go to church with, with your, your ex-wife. ex-wife and our child children in tow yeah. because this church has child care. So he was not happy. He was like, what is, what's going through your brain? Like, do you have, do you even have time to process no, what's happening? I just knew I needed to go to church and I didn't want to go to the Catholic church and I didn't know any others. So I was like, but I, I are, what you you have to tell this to your your husband? Yes. Do you like? Are you literally hanging up the phone phone and turning around and telling him this, or is there time between hanging up the phone and turning and telling him this that you have time to process? No time to process. I give Anthony the phone so he could talk to his mom. I walk back downstairs. I look shocked. Mike says, "What's wrong?" And I say, "Well, you're not going to believe this, but..." Um, I'm going to go to church with Terry. And he goes, what? That's, what? say it again. <laughs> so I say it again. And he goes, that's an unholy alliance. You cannot go to church with that woman. In in his defense, I, I would have had the same kind of yeah, reaction. He kind of was like, yeah. Because this woman was definitely, we've had, we had a lot of issues with her. I mean, even like just sometimes just the thought of like, uh, you know, as a man, your wife becoming best buddies with your mom, that can get you into some real sketchy situations because my mom has seen me more vulnerable than anyone else, right? (laughs) She changed my diapers. She put up with all my crap growing up. So that could could be an unholy alliance. But an ex-wife and your current wife, 
That should tell you the desperation I was in. That that should tell you everything you need to know about how desperate I was to not be the woman I was, to not live the life I was living. And I know I heard God and he was pressing on my heart and I needed to go. So I was just like, that's how desperate I was. Okay, so you're you're pulling into Desperation Station. Yes. And you're looking <laughs> for a home. And so I think we should pause there because there's a lot more left to this story. And I think Very we should much. save it for the next episode. Uh, so we're, we're going to, we're going to pause at, okay, it's time to go to church. We've had mm -hmm. a, but God moment. And now the current wife is going to go to church with the ex-wife. That sounds like a great lead in to episode <laughs> number two. I agree. And, and we definitely got to get through that. But the, 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 for those of you guys, for the, for hopefully we've gone from four listeners to five listeners. So this is to that one listener that we've just added, <laughs> the, the the this this whole season is kind of going to shape down where we're giving you these detours between Deb and I. We we've gone through so many different detours that we're going to walk you through. Typically, episode number one, maybe episode number two of each season, we're going to walk you through what the detour was. Mm -hmm. But then we're also going to go through episodes, you know, two or three through X through the end of the season. We're going to be unpacking a tremendous amount of the detours, right? So God was doing some amazing things in your life. Yes. You were getting yourself into trouble, all sorts of things. And God's kind of like, I'm going to let, I'm going to leave her be. And I'm going to speak to her in a way that will, is resonate undeniable. Yes, will resonate with her, is undeniable. And then I'm going to start a redemption process and a restoration process. Yeah. And you know, this is husband number two. I'm husband number three. Ironically, my name is Mike also. <laughs> um, so we have a wonderful marriage. So how do you go from, you know, having a child out of wedlock through two failed marriages yeah. that, and, and, and I say this and, and you know how much I love you that, but that is going to create a tremendous amount of baggage uh, for anyone out there to carry. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the season, we're going to talk through Okay, you're now at church. That is step number one, maybe step number one B, if you consider the garage, yes. uh, but God moment. That's kind of one A, uh, the the kind of the detour to get you back on track. So we'll call the garage one A, and one B is going to church, mm -hmm. and and then from there on out, the rest of the season, we're gonna sit and we're gonna talk through um, all sorts of things that, that you know. The, God the pain. showed us. Yeah, the, the, all the areas of your life where you needed healing, um, you know, and, and as we get closer to the end, how he prepared you for me and how he prepared me for you and so on and so forth. And we're going to unpack all these details and talk through all these detours because there, there's, there's people out there that are listening that just, you need to hear these kinds of things, you know, the the point of the podcast is really to talk through some things that you don't necessarily find directly uh, in the Bible per se, but it is the roadmap to life. So you, you have all sorts of verses and you have God speaking to you through the Bible, through different seasons. And so we're going to start unpacking all of these seasons from the moment you get saved till the moment you and I meet, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Oh, yes. A lot of work that God has to get done, both in you and in me, to prepare us for a happy, healthy marriage. So we're going to start talking through that. There's a tremendous season of singleness for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an area that the church a lot of times doesn't spend a lot of time talking about singleness was absolutely a blessing for both of us, a celebrated season. We want to talk through that. We want to talk through yes. uh, seasons of anger and so on and so forth and healing. how you na navigate that feel, uh, healing, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that had to happen for you to prepare you for me and vice versa. And so that's what the rest of the season's going to be. Uh, just to kind of lay that out there for everyone listening. But we do thank everyone Episode number two, we're going to pick right up. This is the cliffhanger. <laughs> the wife is going to church with the ex-wife, and she's about to have a Jesus moment For that sure. will forever change her life. So make sure you tune in to episode number two if you want to hear that story. But for now, we're signing off. 
Uh, we <laughs> will see you guys at the next episode. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com. Wow. 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 Wow.